Hey guys, happy Wednesday. Welcome to Relatable. There is so much to talk about today. So a lot of you have asked me to talk about the Super Bowl halftime show. So we are going to discuss that. We're going to talk about the Iowa caucus in all of the madness surrounding that. We are going to try to talk about a couple other things. I want to talk about this Pew poll that says who self-identified Christian Democrats say that they are going to vote for in November and why they are voting that way. Uh, as I'm recording this, it is Tuesday morning. So a lot has happened. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, State of the Union address happened on Tuesday night. There are uh, There's probably more information about the Iowa caucuses that I'm not going to be able to give you right now as I'm recording it, but I'm going to give you my best analysis on all of these things. Okay, first, before before we get into talking about the craziness surrounding the Iowa caucus, I want to give a little bit of a tribute to Rush Limbaugh, who announced this week that he has been diagnosed with advanced lung cancer. I just want his family to know that I, you know, I don't know that they listen to Relatable, but I do want his family to know that we are praying for him, that we are praying for his family, that God would give them the peace that passes all understanding that he would make a quick recovery. I mean, thank God that he has access to the best healthcare in the world. And I just pray that he would be fully healed, that he would be able to recover, that he would continue this uh, fight and that he would, uh, that he would know that he would come close to the Lord and that the Lord would draw him near and comfort him. And like I said, give him and his family the peace that passes understanding he is a radio legend and I am so thankful for what he has contributed to the political and cultural dialogue for as long as he has been in the game. So just wanted to make sure that I gave that tribute at the top of the show. We are all praying for him and his family. Okay, the Iowa caucus. If you don't know what happened in the Iowa caucus, uh, you can go back and listen to the Monday episode first. I kind of gave a little bit of a precursor, told you what the Iowa caucus is, my predictions that Bernie Sanders was going to win the Iowa caucus, that he was going to pick up the momentum. Remember, that's what the Iowa caucus is really about. That doesn't necessarily mean if you win the Iowa caucus that you are going to win the, the presidential nomination or the nomination for your political party, but it does mean that you are going to pick up a lot of momentum. Ted Cruz won the Iowa caucus, caucus in... Uh, in 2016, and obviously he didn't win the nomination, but it is still a big deal to win the nomination. And I predicted that Bernie Sanders was going to win it. Now, as of right now, Tuesday morning, as I am recording this podcast, we do not have the results of the Iowa caucus because it's been an absolute crazy town madhouse. We don't know what's going on. So there are accusations, there are theories, there are conspiracies floating around Twitter that this is all rigged. And it's rigged specifically, the theory goes against Bernie Sanders. Uh, Bernie Sanders supporters feel that the primaries were rigged against him in 2016, and they believe the same now. And they might have a point that the DNC, that the Democratic establishment is not for Bernie Sanders. They are just not ready to have a socialist represent their party. Now, joke's on them. Socialists already represent their party. They just uh, don't admit that they're socialists, some of the radicals that they have running for president, like Elizabeth Warren, like Pete Buttigieg, like Joe Biden, that are, in many ways at least, just as radical as Bernie Sanders. But Bernie Sanders is at least honest about it, and that's part of his appeal to a lot of people. But another part of Bernie Sanders' appeal 
is that he is against the establishment and the establishment is against him. So if it is true that somehow the Iowa caucus, that they are obscuring the results from the Iowa caucus for a, a, a long period of time so that Bernie Sanders, who may have won, won't gain the momentum that the Iowa caucus lends the winner. Uh, if that is true, or even if enough people believe that that is true, all that's going to do is further incense Bernie supporters. All that's going to do is to give credibility to their theory that Bernie, Sander, Bernie Sanders is fighting the establishment and that the establishment is fighting Bernie Sanders. And that's part of Bernie Sanders' shtick, right? That uh, he is sticking it to the man. That's why people like Bernie Sanders, not just when it comes to sticking it to capitalism and sticking it to billionaires, sticking it to the 1%, which by the way, of course, Bernie is a part of, but also sticking it to the political establishment. By the way, that's the same appeal for a lot of people that Donald Trump has, different kinds of people and for different reasons. But that's why Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump are really uh, perfect for each other when it comes to a presidential competition, because a lot of people uh, support Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, respectively, for the same kinds of reasons. They believe that they are fighting corruption. They are fighting the deep state. They are fighting the establishment. So if this is the DNC strategy to try to stifle Bernie Sanders, this is not the way to go. This is counterproductive as far as their goal goes, because again, if Bernie supporters think that this is rigged against him, that there is some conspiratorial thing going on against Bernie Sanders, all this is going to do is to uh, legitimize their uh, what they would call a need for a movement, a need to overhaul the entire American system. If you listen to a Bernie Sanders rally, every single act that he has before Bernie Sanders comes on the stage is about how terrible, how fundamentally flawed America is, how racist, how corrupt, how immoral, how unjust America is to the core. And so believing that uh, the Democratic establishment in Washington is working against Bernie Sanders, is working against your movement. Well, that's just going to make you angrier. That's just going to make you more passionate. I mean, think about, for example, if you looked at this on the Republican side, the same is true for those of us who support Donald Trump. Uh, we think the impeachment is a, witch, is a witch hunt, that the Russian collusion hoax is a witch hunt. We thought that the Kavanaugh thing was a witch hunt against Kavanaugh. So the more you believe that the establishment, that the swamp is against your guy, the more passionate you're going to be, the angrier you're going to be. That's why impeachment was a miscalculation for the Democrats, just because it's making Republicans even angrier at them and even more passionate about voting for Donald Trump. The same is true for Bernie Sanders, if this is truly rigged against him. I'm not saying that it is the Iowa caucus, but it could be. So lots of theories that are floating around um, about that. Now, I want to switch into this Pew poll that recently came out talking about uh, Christians who are planning to vote for Democrats. And it breaks down Christians in general, so Protestants, Catholics, who are voting for Republicans, voting for Trump, and who plan to vote for Democrats. And then it breaks down which Democrats these self-identified Christians plan to vote for. So on Monday, I talked about an AP article that said that 
the Democratic Party is trying to court evangelical Christians who, for the most part, are going to vote for Donald Trump or planning to vote for Donald Trump. Pete Buttigieg has been trying to do that for a long time. Of course, I don't think that's going to be effective. But something I said that turned out to be true, according to this Pew poll, is that I think Christians would vote for Joe Biden uh, if he is the nominee. Some Christians who don't like Donald Trump, who have bought into the lie that in order to be compassionate, you have to believe in open borders and you have to believe in free health care and you have to believe in abortion and all of this crazy stuff. I think they would sooner vote for Joe Biden than they would vote for Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is just too extreme. He's too radical. It's too obvious how a socialism and communism have decimated not just economies, but people's lives and have led to suffering and have led to the stifling of religious liberty for as long as socialism and communism has been around, that it would be too difficult to make the pitch for evangelical Christians, for any Christian uh, to vote for Bernie Sanders. So I just said that I was just kind of surmising. It was just conjecture out of, you know, observation on my part. But it turns out, according to this Pew Research poll, that uh, that is true, that the majority of atheists and agnostics say that they are going to vote for Bernie Sanders, that they are Bernie Sanders supporters. Uh, very few agnostics and atheists uh, comparatively say that they would vote for Bernie or say say that they would vote for Joe Biden and even fewer say that they would vote uh, for Donald Trump. But if we just look at not specifically the candidates who uh, each uh, religious section is going to vote for, say that they're going to vote for, it's interesting. It's predictable, but it's interesting. And we'll kind of talk about why this breakdown is. So 75 of white evangelicals, according to this poll, are definitely or probably voting for Trump in November. So 75%. 81% of atheists definitely are probably voting for Democrats. Uh, 73% of agnostics definitely are probably voting Democrat. 79% black Protestant voting Democrat. So overall, 51% uh, Protestants voting for Trump, 36% Protestants voting Democrats, or they say that they're going to in November. 44% Catholics are voting Trump, 43% voting Democrat. That is very split. So what we see here is that if you are theologically conservative, because typically white evangelicals are extremely, uh, extremely theologically conservative, if you are theologically conservative, you tend to be politically conservative. We just see that to be true. Uh, now, this is just what I want to say, and I know this is a little bit controversial, but we've talked about this so much on our podcast. What I would say, that if you are a Democrat, who, or if you are a Christian who plans to vote Democrat or who does vote Democrat, and you look at a number like this and you see that 81% of atheists and 73% of agnostics are definitely or probably voting for Democrats, and you see that the vast majority of atheists are voting for Bernie Sanders or who support Bernie Sanders, and you find yourself on the same political, on the same side of the political aisle as almost all the atheists and agnostics in the country, I would just ask yourself why? Like these people who don't believe in God, don't believe in a supreme moral arbiter, don't believe people are made in the image of God, don't believe people have a soul and are going to live forever. That's at least true of atheists, agnostics, you know, not necessarily. Uh, but if you find yourself having the same basic worldview and voting the same on almost every single issue as people who don't believe in God, I would just ask yourself why? 
Now, separation of church and state is not a good answer on that uh, because if you have a biblical worldview, it colors how you vote. It colors how you see the world. It colors uh, what you think the place of government is and what you believe good laws are. Now, that's not to say that we necessarily have to disagree on all atheists or agnostics politically. Obviously, there are atheists and agnostic conservatives. And so just because they don't believe in God doesn't mean that I believe that they're wrong politically as well. But if you, again, are on the side uh, of the political aisle that almost every single, not just one or a few, but every single atheist is on, I would evaluate your worldview. Do you believe just fundamental questions? Like, do you believe the word of God is inerrant? That's what I believe is a differentiating uh, factor between theological conservatives and theological liberals. Do you believe that the word of God matters? Like, do you believe that God is the moral arbiter? Do you believe in the basic idea that we were endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, among them being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Therefore, the government exists to recognize our rights, not give us our rights, because that's really the difference. That is why the majority of Christians, uh, the majority of evangelical Christians are conservative and atheists are not, because of that key key factor because we believe as the founders did Christians believe as the founders did that we were created by God and because we were created by God we have natural inherent rights that exist just because we are alive therefore they cannot be taken away by the government because they weren't given by the government but if you don't have that belief that we were created by God and therefore given inalienable natural inherent rights then you believe that the government gives us our rights therefore the government can take away our rights and if you don't believe uh, that God is the moral arbiter, then you believe that the government is the moral arbiter because that's the next highest thing. But we believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Therefore, he is in charge of all of it ultimately. And yes, he sets up governments. He takes down governments. Government, I believe, is a good thing. Government should exist. Government has a, a purpose. And Romans 13 says it is to execute justice on the wrongdoer. So we know that there is a biblical purpose to to the government, but we believe that the government is meant to be a servant of God. That doesn't mean a theocracy in the sense that we don't believe that we should compel you to worship the same God that we do. We believe in religious liberty, but do we believe that laws should reflect uh, God's version of morality? Absolutely we do, because without God, there is no argument for morality. So again, if you are a Christian, you believe that God is the ultimate moral authority, that he says what's true and what's not, what is and what isn't, and what is good and what is evil. Therefore, you believe that God should influence law. That is not an infringement on separation of church and state. The founders believe that God should influence law because again, you don't have any a concept of what is right and wrong if you don't believe in a higher moral authority that says what is right and wrong. So atheists don't believe in that, and they believe that the state should be able to dictate totally what is right, what is wrong, and should not only be your moral arbiter, but also your caretaker, also your nanny, also your family. Uh, but Christians, we believe that we are made in the image of God. And because we believe that humans are made in the image of God, we believe that we have souls. And because we believe we have souls, we believe that we live forever, that human beings' souls live forever. Therefore, we outlive the state. We outlive governments. That means that human beings, because of that, are far more important. Individuals are far more important than the states. 
But if you don't believe that we are made in the image of God, if you don't believe we have souls, if you don't believe we live forever, that means the state outlives the individual. That means that you believe that the state probably is more important than the individual. So that is why the majority of atheists uh, support someone like Bernie Sanders. That is also why throughout history, you see godlessness always coincide with socialism and communism in any form of totalitarianism. So that is why we see the difference. And again, if you're a Christian who tends to vote Democrat, I would ask yourself, why? Why, why do you have the same worldview as people who don't believe in God? It's just, an it's just an interesting question to ask. And if you are an atheist who votes Republican, I would also ask yourself why. Like, why do you believe we have certain inherent inalienable rights if you don't believe they come from somewhere? Like, why don't you believe the government has the right to take away your rights? Why? Um, I would ask you to dig a little bit deeper, too. I'm glad you're over here on this side, but I would want you to come to a spiritual revelation more than I just want your political vote. Okay, so I just wanted to analyze that. Now let's get into what I'm really excited to talk about and what so many of you asked me to talk about over the past few days, and that is the Super Bowl halftime show. Lots of messages about this. Uh, I watched it, Shakira, J-Lo. Uh, here are all of my honest thoughts about this. So first, these are incredibly talented and beautiful women. Shakira is 43 years old. J-Lo is 50 years old. 50 years old. They are amazing dancers. They are incredible athletes. I don't know this from experience because I am not a dancer at all. I wish that I were. I wish I were a dancer. But I can tell, you can just tell from watching, that what it takes to be able to do what they did takes incredible skill, takes incredible practice, it takes incredible athleticism that the vast majority of the world could never have even if we practice every single day. Uh, all of the dancers on that stage, totally talented. I could never do what they do. I will never look like Shakira and JLo. I'm totally fine with that. They are amazing performers and gorgeous women. Now, all of that said, did I have a problem with the show? Of course I had a problem with the show. And I know there are a lot of people that are going to push back on this. Like there are a lot of people that think anyone who has criticized this at all is just being a stick in the mud. But let me let me explain from a Christian perspective. Um, it was overtly and overly sexual. Not just kind of sexual, not just some innuendo, but explicitly sexual. Obviously, they were wearing very little clothing. They were pole dancing. The camera crotch shots were like, every other shot it seemed like. And I was kind of, I was like laughing at this because it was so weird that there were so many crotch shots. Uh, there is this idea that female empowerment means being unapologetically sexual, being unapologetically naked, almost showing your body as much as you want without shame, being unabashedly sexy. Like we hear that that is feminism today. Um, and the same people who promulgate this idea, this is the funny part, the same people who promulgate this idea are the ones decrying the patriarchy. Guys, if the patriarchy exists, this is the greatest trick they have ever played on women. Uh, that you are more empowered and that you will gain more respect if you take off your clothes. What an incredible strategy by the so-called patriarchy that, hey, ladies, uh, the more naked you are, 
uh, the more empowered you'll be. Uh, yeah, you're not you're not a real feminist until you take your clothes off. Uh, I saw a post the other day on a popular account that said, and you may want to cover your kids' ears if you haven't done that already. Uh, it said, "Be an slut." I, I just hate that word, so I don't even say that word. It said, "Be an slut. Show your body. Get naked. Have all the safe, different, consensual sex you want. Be kinky." masturbate, make watch porn, make money. Just a reminder that being sexual is okay. That's what the post said. Again, LOL. If this is feminism, then feminism is a dream come true for every pervy guy who has ever existed. So congratulations, feminists. You done got played. Oh, and don't forget another uh, W for the patriarchy is that according to leftist feminist ideology of today, men can also be women. And guess what? They are apparently better women than even women are. They are dominating women's athletic competitions. I saw that a guy in Tennessee a few months ago was crowned homecoming queen this fall. So yes, men are now better women than women are. See, this is the reason why, by the way, when people say, oh, you're a feminist if you believe that men and women are equal. Well, no, that's not apparently what feminism is. Feminism, at least in part, is encouraging women that empowerment is hypersexualization, it's abortion, and gender bending. A feminism that says that you can be an SLUT or that you should be that in order to be empowered or make porn in order to be empowered, in order to be free, that's not an ideology that is concerned with the well-being of women. It is moral relativism uh, targeted specifically at women. And guess what? If your life is centered on promiscuity, on prostitution, on pornography, you are going to end up at the very best, heartbroken and lonely and at the very worst, ridden with STDs and possibly sex trafficked since uh, sex slavery and the making of pornography very often go hand in hand. Um, that's something people were saying in relation to the Super Bowl show. The Super Bowl is always a hotbed for sex trafficking and prostitution. And here we are promoting the objectification of women. Um, and I don't care what you say, whether you are objectifying yourself or someone else is objectifying you, you are still being perceived as a sexual object. That doesn't mean that's what you are, but that is how you are being perceived. Uh, not not as an empowered woman. I just want to tell you something uh, in all of this. If this is what feminism is promoting, then feminism, ladies, does not care about you. Feminism doesn't care about you. It doesn't care about your well-being. It doesn't care about your soul. It doesn't care about your heart. Feminism isn't going to be there for you when you wake up from another one-night stand Sunday morning hungover and wondering how many more times you're going to do this before you'll actually be satisfied. Uh, feminism isn't holding your hand when you are in the doctor's office and find out you have an STD. Uh, feminism can't keep you company after you watch porn and you realize you're still lonely. Uh, feminism won't comfort you when you've realized too late that you have exchanged kids for a career. That might not be fair. You might say, well, people should treat me with respect no matter what, and you're right. People should absolutely treat you with respect. I will treat anyone with respect, no matter who they are or what they look like or what they're wearing. It doesn't matter, but I'm not everyone. Uh, if you use your body as a commodity, you will be commodified. Uh, if you present your body as a sexual object, uh, you will be sexually objectified. Unfortunately, again, you might not like that. And you might say, well, no woman uh, should change their behavior. Men just shouldn't think of us like that. They just shouldn't 
look at us like that. Um, and as much as the left wants us to believe that that could be the case one day, as much as they want to emasculate men and pretend that this isn't so, men like to look at naked women. That's just a fact. And when they do, unless maybe it's their wife, but even then, uh, they're not typically thinking about what a beautiful soul this woman has. God wired men to be sexually attracted to naked women and that sexual desire, God says, is supposed to be solely satisfied by their wife, not just in deed, but also in thought. Jesus says, if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery. So especially to the Christian women, uh, telling critics of the halftime performance to calm down, I have to assume two things out of that. You either both or you either have a low view of women or you have a low view of men. First uh, Timothy 2.9 says women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Um, and here is the why behind that biblically. First Corinthians 6, 19 through 19 through 20 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. Uh, the reason Christians care about modesty the reason we don't approve of women uh, flaunting their bodies on stage, dancing in a way that is specifically choreographed to solicit lust and dressed in outfits specifically designed to uh, make someone imagine having sex with them is because we have a high view of, of the body, a, a dignified view of the body. Uh, the secular world says Christians are suppressive, that we have a low view of sex and sexuality in the body, and that is not true. We have the highest view of sex and the highest view of sexuality and the highest view of the body that exists because we believe behaving in a way that lends to health, that lends to maximum enjoyment, both physically and spiritually, and treats both ourselves and others with respect. Uh, we believe all human beings are made in the image of God. Therefore, they have a soul that will live forever. Therefore, they are worth our care. They are worth are compassion and love and kindness. They are worth recognizing their dignity. And we believe that Christians specifically are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that means you and I are not our own. We are God's and God tells us to dress modestly. End of story. Uh, have I been perfect in this regard in my life? Not even close. No, I have it. Definitely not. Especially since I only this year started to think about the fact that leggings without something covering them is immodest. Never even thought about that. It took being on the Ben Shapiro show for us to argue about this, for me to start considering, okay, maybe that is a line that I've crossed without even realizing. I think that's true. I think that's part of sanctification for women, that there might be things that you don't realize today that you're doing that are uh, unholy, not just in the realm of modesty, but in other other realms of life that you realize next week that the Holy Spirit convicts you and you realize, oh my gosh, can't believe I did that or said that or thought that way. And that is certainly true for me in this particular area. Um, Christians care about modesty, not just because we know we're housing the Holy Spirit in our, uh, in our bodies, but also because we care about our brothers in Christ who are fighting each day with Jesus' strength to avert their eyes and to walk in purity. So did I have a problem with the halftime show. Of course I did. I think all Christians should have a problem with the halftime show. Now, there is another pushback that a lot of people are getting saying, well, why are you surprised? Shouldn't you expect this? This is it. Family friendly viewing television. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't sitting there like with my mouth hanging open being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. I thought that, you know, like the Teletubbies were going to come out. I didn't think that. I obviously assumed that something like this was going to happen. It's been sexual for a long time. I think Adam Levine even 
took his shirt off last year, which again, like totally unnecessary, but also not the exact same thing. Some people are saying that's a double standard. Yes, there's a double standard because men and women aren't the same. It's not the same. Looking at a guy with his shirt off is looking as it is looking at a girl almost naked pole dancing. Like we can pretend all we want to that men look at women in the same way that women look at men, but it's not true. Like women are wired differently. We don't look at a guy with a shirt off and have the same thoughts as a guy does when he looks at a girl with her shirt off. Like again, we can pretend like we're all egalitarian and the same here, but we're not. It is different. There are double standards for a reason in some things. In this case, it's true. I still thought it was weird that he took a shirt off. But anyway, so was I surprised at any of this? Uh, no, even so, even so, Christians can show uh, anger over sin. We can show disgust over sin. We can show a desire for things to be different. That doesn't mean that we didn't expect something like that or a show like that to occur. But of course, Christians are obligated to say what is and what isn't. That doesn't mean that you have to be like a public hater on the show in order to uh, be on the right side of this issue. I'm not saying that at all. But several things can be true at the same time that we can know that, yes, the halftime show is not going to be some like family friendly viewing. We can also acknowledge that these are beautiful and talented women. And then we can also say, yeah, this is wrong. And this is something that Christians should be willing to stand against and call out that we should turn the channel uh, if our sons are watching this. Now, it was all adults in the room and none of us were even really watching the halftime show when we were watching it. But I was just kind of observing for this very reason, because I like to know what's going on so I can talk about these things. Now, some people are saying that there were... Uh, like satanic parts of this as well, that there were satanic symbols in all of this. I don't know enough about that to confirm or deny. They are also saying there were political undertones. JLo had a Puerto Rican flag. There were like kids in cages looking type thing uh, subtly there. Again, I don't know about all of the symbolism. I think the more important thing is that uh Christians are still turned off by this stuff. Like it's so easy to be desensitized to it. I've seen some people say, oh, you just don't understand dancers. Like you don't understand performers. Like this is just how it is. Uh, you just need to be okay with these outfits. You just need to be okay with these moves. Well, that's not biblical. So I think that we should remain sensitive to this stuff. People say that Christians are overly sensitive. We're supposed to be sensitive. Like Jesus tells us to be uh, harmless or innocent as doves. We're supposed to be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. We should maintain our innocence. Like we should maintain our holiness in this regard. We should be completely disgusted by this stuff. We should be sensitive to it. We should be appalled by this, uh, no matter how much it permeates culture. And yes, we should call it out. And we should pray for conviction about things that we have become desensitized to in this world, including something like this. So lots of other things I wanted to talk about today. I'll try to cover Taylor Swift on Friday if I have time. Uh, some people have asked me to talk about the coronavirus and I might do that. It's really more a story of the failures of communism than anything else. And I might do an Instagram live tonight on Wednesday to talk about the State of the Union uh, that I wasn't able to cover today because I'm recording this before the State of the Union is actually happening, but I'm very excited about it. So we'll see. But 
but I will see you guys for sure back here on Friday. I'm having an interview with someone who left the new age. So all the stuff that we talked about so much, but crystals, yoga, all of that stuff left the new age, became a believer. And I'm so excited about that conversation. And I will see you guys then. <laughs>